It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August October twenty second, two thousand fifteen. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you. And uh, someone's come in between us tonight. Yeah, we've got a special guest. Yeah. We've been announcing for the last few weeks that we were having a gospel meeting here at College View this week, and uh, we are in the midst of it. And our speaker tonight, we just have concluded. That's why we're just a few minutes late getting started tonight. We just have concluded our gospel meeting service. Lee Wildman was preaching for us, did a great job talking to us about the grace of God uh, in our study tonight during the gospel meeting, and we've imposed upon him to come and join us for the virtual Bible study. Lee, thanks for being here. Well, I'm very grateful to be here. This is a privilege, and didn't realize till you and I talked a few weeks ago that we switched me from Tuesday to Thursday night. And then I would be able to take part in this. You sort of walked into a trap, didn't you? Yeah, I, I think so. I realize I had to do double duty tonight, but I'm glad to do this. Yeah, we're glad that you're here and appreciate your lesson tonight. Well, what we did, I, I coordinated with Lee and earlier today sent out a message to our uh, email update list about our topic. Lee, uh, Lee's sermon tonight was about God's grace. Are we saved by grace? And he suggested four questions, which I sent out to our update list uh, earlier today. Yes. And we've been seeking some feedback, got a little bit, and we'll be looking for more as you join us in the chat room uh, uh, or give us a phone call. We'd be glad to hear from you. Number one, the question we sent out, and this this all coordinates with the lesson Lee just brought to us. How important, number one, how important is it for Christians to be reminded that we've been saved by grace? Number two, what happens when our salvation is primarily obedience or work-based, if we view it that way? Number three, what happens when our salvation is primarily grace-based or motivated? And then finally, number four, how does baptism fit into the picture of being saved by grace? I think those are all very important questions and uh, certainly worthy of our uh, uh, continuing discussion. Lee taught us very well on that, uh, but I, I think that there's lots to say about God's grace. Sign in the chat room tonight if you'd like to comment with other listeners there tonight or send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. The phone number is 877-381-4567. Toll free. Call us there. We'd like to hear from you on the program tonight. Uh, you know, grace, I think, is one of those uh, hijacked uh, scriptural terms. That, uh, that There's so much false teaching associated with it, like a lot of other things, that uh, sometimes we may shy away from that, Lee, because there are a lot of false doctrines associated with it, sort of things like predestination, foreordination, biblical terms, biblical concepts, but so much false doctrine associated with them that we sometimes shy away from the topic. Sadly, grace can become that way if we're not careful. I agree. I, in my lifetime, I felt like there's I've heard a lot of teaching to refute error. And these lessons, this particular lesson, came about when I began to be concerned: Do we appreciate it like we should? Um, do we see the value of grace and how it can motivate us to be what we ought to be? But at the same time, well aware 
that there are some false concepts about it and try to deal with that a little bit tonight. So uh, I'm here to listen to you guys, by the way. You guys can fill in the, the blanks that I didn't get to tonight. But Let's uh, talk about this first question. How important is it for us to be reminded that we've been saved by grace? Yeah, you gave just a, a real stirring illustration, Lee, and I'd like for you to share that with our uh, listeners about uh, a situation back in San Francisco. I remember, by the way, you asked, did we remember? I remember watching the World Series. It was in 1989. Uh, I, didn't, I couldn't have recalled the year, but you told us 1989. First game of the World Series. It was the first game, I think. I think it? so. And and the whole stadium starts, Candlestick Park yeah, in, right, in right. San Francisco yeah. just starts shaking. And it was a pretty major... I believe Al Michaels was on the air, wasn't it? Yeah, I think he was. I, believe. I, I, think, I think it was the A's and the Giants. It was a Bay, yeah, yeah. A Bay World think, Series, yeah. so it was unusual that way. And and uh, But t- tell us that story. I think our listeners would be interested to hear that story told. I didn't know that. Well... I began the lesson with this illustration that the story was a firefighter had hurt a woman that pinned in her apartment complex. It had collapsed. She had crawled under her four-post bed, and that was all that really kept the top floors off of her, and he hurt her. And he was warned by his superiors to, don't go, to not go in. There were buildings still collapsing around him. Fires were breaking out. But because he heard her having compassion, he decided to go in and try to do whatever he could to save her. And so... He crawled through spaces that were less than two foot high and eventually reached her. She, he held her hand. She pleaded with him not to, to, leave, to leave her until he saved her and eventually was able to clear the way out, and they were able to get a board underneath of her and to get her out from the building. What I illustrated, or the question I asked, was that grace. And it's a remarkable story. A man who was willing to risk his own life for somebody, a fellow human being. He, he didn't know this person. No, didn't know them at all. And, but he put—he literally put his life at risk to go in to, to, to try to reach a stranger. Absolutely. And in some sense, that's what God has done for us. But then I went ahead to illustrate. For example, what if it had been true that he learned that the woman had been involved in an accident, she was drunk, and his son had been driving the other car and was killed? What if he went ahead and then tried to save her anyway? Would that have been an act of grace? What if he died trying to make a way out for her? And somebody else had to go in and to get her out. And I illustrate that by going to Romans 5 and saying that while we were still sinners, God has said to us that someone might die for a good man, a righteous man, but in this case, God has died for us. Jesus has died for us, I'd rather say even while we were sinners, when we didn't deserve to be saved by him at all. Now, just to summarize that story, Lee, that was that actually was what happened. The man went in there. He didn't know that the woman was the woman who had killed his son in a drunk driving accident. Right. And But he went in, and he, when he got there and found out who it was, he still worked to save her, and in the end ended up losing his own life, saving hers. That's amazing. I don't know how I missed that story. That's let, me, let me make sure, and I may have left you the wrong impression already. That's me adding to the story. Oh, okay. That that would have been an act of grace if he if that were true. Okay. Those things weren't true, but that was to illustrate. That okay. If he, okay. Those things had been true. What a great act of grace that would have been. And yes, that would have made that story a whole lot more remarkable. But, but the thing of it is, and and you told us this at the end of the lesson. The woman said, all I can say is I'll never forget. That's right. But uh, 
to our question here, how important is it for Christians to be reminded that we've been saved by grace? She would be, we would just consider her to be some horrible, horrible person if she never even acknowledged what the man had done for her. That's exactly right. We would think, how, what a miserable specimen of humanity that woman is. She didn't even, she's not even grateful. We would expect her to be grateful for a man who put his life at risk to save her. Uh, what about us? If we don't constantly think about what God did for us through his son Jesus Christ, that is us. We are that despicable specimen of humanity if we can't be grateful for what God's done for us. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. And since that's so important, so crucial, then we've got to take time to think about God's grace, and we've got to take time to make sure we keep that in the forefront of our mind and, and not allow our focus to shift. And I think as we go along tonight, we'll talk about the fact that that's a dangerous thing, that we can quickly lose that focus and uh, stop being thankful for God's grace and stop recognizing what a great blessing it was to us. Yeah, you know, all of us have had people who've done just great acts of kindness on our behalf. And, you know, we're thankful, we're grateful. We, you know, and we sometimes we even use the expression, well, I'll never forget what you've done for me. And that's good. But if we would say that concerning anything a human being might do for us, we definitely should have that attitude toward God who gave his own son to be a, a sacrifice for our sins. All right. Um, the, the idea of saved by grace, <clears throat> and you mentioned this in your lesson, Lee. If someone were to ask the question, are you saved by grace? What's the right answer to that question? Uh, it's got to be absolutely yes, right? As you said, though, and Jacob, as you alluded to, sometimes we want to real quickly hedge that by saying, yeah, but. We're saved by grace. Yeah, but. Uh, well, but but I agree with you that there ought to be times when we just say, yeah, yeah, I am saved by God's grace. We can talk more about that. We can talk about all the ins and outs that are involved in that. But the, the bottom line is, yes, I'm saved by grace. I appreciate that, Greg. In fact, I saw you in the audience nodding your head yes when I made that point. Um, and I think reading Ephesians chapter 2 reminds me that this is, again, a letter written to Christians to remind them that here's what you used to be. Here's what God did on your behalf. Yes, he expects them now to continue to do the good things, the good works that, he, that the Lord requires of us. But he was reminding Christians, people who may have been faithful for several years, that you've been saved by grace and not by works, not by your own goodness. Yeah. I, a preacher friend from years ago, I haven't seen him in a number of years, uh, I, I've made some overseas preaching trips with Tommy Porch. I don't know if you ever knew Tommy Porch or not. Met him a time or two. Tommy made a, a made an illustration I thought was really good. He said, okay, let's, let's picture this scene. You go to heaven or you go to the judgment bar. Let's say you go to the judgment bar and there is there's God on the throne, Jesus at his right hand and and he says to you, why should I let you come into heaven? Well, what races through your mind is, uh, I went to church every Sunday. Um, I gave, I gave some, some of my money. Uh, I was baptized, by the way. And, you know, you, you start, trying to, start trying to list what you think might be justifications. This is why you should let me come into heaven. He said, wrong answer. All of those. Anything that you might say would be the wrong answer. He says, what you do is you point to the one who's on his right hand and you say, 
because of him. You should let me come into heaven because of him. And that's the right answer. All right, we're going to take a break. When we get back, focusing on grace and keeping mindful of it is going to impact the way that we live our lives and the way we think about things. And we're going to talk about that on the other side, how this impacts our life and our perspective. And we hope to get your comments then. Uh, We hope you'll stay with us. Send us your comments in the chat room. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here's some quotes worth pondering. When you die, there are no second chances. We always hear people say, well, you only live once. But don't forget that you only die once, too. Indecision is sometimes a decision in itself. Satan offers what he cannot give. He is a liar and has been since the creation of the world. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight talking with Lee Wildman about grace and how important it is to us and how we need to keep it in the forefront of our mind and how it will affect our attitude and our perspective. Let me read a couple of emails, Jacob. We've got an email from Chris in England uh, who writes to say, how important is it for Christians to be reminded that we have been saved by grace? He says, vital. It's not down to you and your ability, but what God has done. Just like with your first birth, which has little to do with you, the second birth is the same except for the inclusion of your decision. And you may add that waters are broken in both. Interesting. And then I got an email from our friend Jim in Kentucky who says, It's very important for Christians to be reminded regularly about grace. It is by God's generous blessing that salvation has been presented to us. It is a gift he offers to all mankind that we neither deserve nor are owed. We are to be reminded of the blessing of salvation as pertains to both the giver and the gift. Yes. I think those are good. Thank you, Jim and Chris. Appreciate your comments tonight. I think we've got got Arthur joining us in the studio. We've got a studio audience tonight. in studio. Thank you, Arthur. Arthur. You've got something to add, I think. You're, you're ready. You know, when you give thought to grace and you think of all the things that you need to do, you study, understand, you to hear, believe, repent, and confess, and be baptized, and all those things you need to know in order to be a Christian. But when it comes right down to it, what is it that saves you? All that thing, all the works that you did, is that what saves you? No, it's the grace of God. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about how works enter into the equation as we go along, but that is important. Just last week, I had an occasion where a woman came to me who had been baptized, a friend of ours who had been baptized, I think, close to 30 years ago, not quite 30 years ago. But she she had been worried that, uh, you know, maybe she didn't know enough and didn't do it for the right reason. And so she thought she should be baptized again. She said one of the things that had been holding her back was, well, for these last 27 years or so that I've been, is all that wasted? Is is all uh, is everything I've done for these last 27 years wasted since if I wasn't baptized properly? And and she agreed with me that you know 
That's not what we're doing here anyway. Right. It, it, it doesn't matter because we're not trying to add up an accumulation of meritorious works. It's not going to wipe out it, our ledger. It, yeah, because yeah, we're not going to heaven for that reason anyway. And she agreed, and and you know that that you don't have to worry about my 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 good works didn't get on the score sheet. Yeah, you know because that's not why we're being saved anyway. Right. All right. And a friend of mine that was visiting an aunt that was in her in the hospital and she was about to pass. She was not doing well at all. And she told him, she said, I'm just worried that I'm not good enough. And the friend of mine kindly said, well, I hate to tell you, but you're not. That's right. right. But in essence, you know, I hope I'm not thinking about am I good enough. I'm thinking, yes, I've tried to please the Lord, but I'm looking forward because his grace has given me this hope of heaven and die with gladness in my heart and joy because I know he saved me. You know, I I preached a lesson once, Lee, uh, have I done enough? First point was the answer is no. The answer is no. We can't ever do enough. Yes, absolutely. All right, Uh, your next question. The the second question that Lee suggested, and he also covered this in his lesson, is when what happens when our salvation is primarily obedience and works-based? Kind of explain what you're thinking there, Lee. Okay. There are two or three points I made. One is that we can become boastful if we're not careful, like the Pharisee in the temple that Jesus uses an illustration of he and the tax collector praying in the temple in Luke 18. And he began to boast that I'm not like this fellow, and I do this, and I do that, and I don't do this and do that. And he thought he was right with God on that basis. And the publican who said, be merciful to me, a sinner, is the one that Jesus said went home justified. And so... We need to be careful, as faithful as we ought to be and want to want to be. We need to be careful we don't become boastful of our obedience. You know, that's that 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 can really impact a lot of different areas in our life. The Pharisees were condemned for blowing the trumpets before they did their alms and so forth. Wanting other people to see what they're doing. And if we're thinking we're earning our salvation, then that's a natural tendency. I want you to know what I'm doing because look how good I am and what 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 I'm doing for God. But when we realize that it's God's grace that we're saved, and by God's grace we're even able to do that, then there there is no boasting. Arthur's got a point. I was uh, thinking about the passage in Ephesians 4 and verse 1. He said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation or life's work wherein you were called. You know, that that's just something to strive for. Because it's like you said, there's no way in the world we can be worthy. Yeah. Passage in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, against such there is no law. I wonder if that means there's no limitation. There's no, like a speed limit sign that says, okay, this is as fast as you're supposed to go. God says concerning the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, all of those things that are part of the fruit. I can't ever say, okay, I'm good as I ought to be, or I'm gentle as I ought to be, or patient as I ought to be. I've still got work to do. And that's the joy of being a Christian to me is that I can keep on pressing on trying to do better. You know, it seems more and more it seems like I'm making this point to both myself and, and when I'm trying to teach that there are so many areas of the Christian life that we never arrive. We never We never can say, okay, check that one off. I got that one done. Uh, you know, th- these areas are all areas where we can keep growing and never attain to perfection in these matters. 
And that says it well, Greg, better than I think what I tried to say tonight, one of my points, when we ignore or deny our sins. If we keep a list, and some things are easier. I've gone to church on Sunday. I ate the Lord's Supper. I contributed. I sang. I did things that I know I'm supposed to do together. That's checked off. I've got all that done. I was baptized. Everything's lined up. But these other things ought to, like you said, these are things that we just never get there because we're not... We just haven't been that kind of people, but yet, by His grace, we can try. I think you're right. Uh, I had a, a couple of verses in mind uh, that, right along that same line. Second Timothy one nine, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. I think Paul makes that point. It summarizes that well. It's not anything that we've done to earn it, but it's all God's grace. And then one from the Old Testament I thought was pretty good, Daniel 9, in Daniel's prayer. He said, O oh oh my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes, for we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. In other words, Daniel, even Daniel, great. You, you talked about Paul being a great man in the New Testament. Daniel was a hero of the faith in the Old Testament, but even Daniel would say, I'm, I'm not asking you this because I deserve it. I'm asking this because of what a great God you are. Great story. Arthur? All right, Arthur. I was thinking about a verse in Matthew 5th chapter, verse 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And, you know, you just, you look at that verse and there's just no way to ever say, well, I've reached it, I've reached it, never, never. It's always out yonder, out yonder. Uh-huh. I think you're right. We're going to have to pull another chair up and just let Arthur sit over here. You know, he made, made me think of the passage in Philippians 3 um, that Paul says, I'm not there yet. I haven't already attained the resurrection, but he's pressing on towards the goal. In verse number 15, therefore let us as many as are mature, the word perfect in some translations, have this mind. Have what mind? The mind that I'm not there yet that I want to do better, that I want to press on, that I'm going to try to be more like the Lord. All right. In the chat room, some good comments coming in. Randy in Swartz Creek, Michigan, uh, tonight in the chat room, says the grace of God came through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Thank you, Randy, for that. And David says, I love that Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The grace extended by God was undeserved and completely a gift from God. Then, even with all that God had given him that he had to do, build a huge ark among other things, he never earned his deliverance, but without that obedience, Noah and his family all would have perished. Mm-hmm. And that's a good uh, good uh, tie-in there with the idea of grace. Go ahead, Arthur. You know, you look at that verse that he just uh, read from. What's there other than grace, faith, and obedience. Is that indifferent what it is for us today? Grace, faith, and obedience. Right, that's right. That's right. Um, Chris in England wrote in and said, When is enough enough? He says, I, Basically, he's making the point we've been saying you can't ever do enough. He says, I have encounters with Mormons, and this is a real problem. They don't know that they are, they, they don't know they're saved. They say they just hope they're saved and that they're trying to achieve salvation, or they call it exaltation. Uh, he said, if I tried to climb that mountain, would you think I had or hadn't succeeded? I think that's the point. We, we can't climb that mountain. We, we just won't make it. Uh, and then I've got another email here. Jacob, let me grab a comment from Jim. 
uh, who says, when salvation is based primarily on obedience and works, then we can be persuaded that if it is possible for us to earn, then we can be persuaded that it is possible for us to earn salvation. Ephesians 2 verse 9. However, we cannot separate obedience from grace. God has presented the plan we must be willing to obey in order to achieve the benefits of his grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2 verse 8. Grace cannot be activated unless we obey by faith. I think, you know, I, I wouldn't want, I think Jim's right, I, and I wouldn't want anybody to misunderstand or, or think that we're saying that obedience is unimportant. And Lee, you talk some about that. Obedience is certainly a necessary thing. Absolutely. When, um, go ahead. I was going to say, we don't want to jump the gun. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to get, gonna get that, that here in a minute. Maybe, maybe yeah. the next question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang, hang on to that. I position. just had one other point in the, on the, the, the idea of if our salvation is works-based. I've run into people who are unwilling to forgive themselves, or they just don't feel like God can forgive them. And I've tried to help them understand, you know you been, have been forgiven because God said he did. You need to trust God. You need to believe God. It's faith. By faith, you understand that he's forgiven you. And then I've felt people, and I think I've been in this boat sometimes, where I just didn't think I was good enough, and I just wasn't doing as good as I should have been doing. I had failed when I thought I should have done better. We get, become discouraged, and I think some folks who think, well, this is all about works, they quit. You know, They give up because they think, well, I can't do it. And instead of realizing, hey, by God's grace, he will forgive you. Even as a Christian, we confess our faults to him. Repent of our sins, and He will forgive us. He's just and faithful to do that. First John chapter one. Uh, he's gracious to us, even as He's a father to children. He's not. All, all of us have children, and have raised children, and we had children disobey us, and it was disappointing to us. But we still loved them. We still tried to bring them around to re- repentance, and when they did, we just hugged them and cried with them and thankful that they were willing to say they were sorry. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I wanted, before we go further than this, let's go back to a passage that we alluded to a couple times in Galatians 2, because I think it is an important passage, but also one that gets misused. Galatians 2, verses 8 and 9. That'd be Ephesians chapter 2. I'm saying Galatians, I mean Ephesians. That's right. Let's get that straight. I'm talking about Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Um, certainly t- talks about salvation being by grace and by faith, by grace through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I've, I've always thought that verse 9 really helps understand verse 8. We're talking about, we're talking about what about a person who's trying to earn his salvation? Well, in verse 9 there, when Paul says it's not of works lest any man should boast, he tells what kind of works he's talking about. The works, the likes of which I could say, look at me. Mm. Look what I've done. Look how much I've done. Mm. I've earned my salvation. There, there, aren't, there aren't any works like that. Right? Um, you, you mentioned, you know, maybe even hearing someone pray, help us. How, how did you say help us earn help our us place? Help us earn our place in heaven. Yeah, and that, what a misguided prayer. Yeah. We, we, we just can't. can't. Arthur, did you have a thought? Well, I was just thinking about what he was talking about. What he was talking about a little earlier, where he was saying the individual didn't think he could be forgiven. You know, in the Hebrews, the 10th chapter, 
in um, verse 16 17, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, and I will put my laws into their heart, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Right. That's the blessing we have in Christ. I think you're right. Let's go ahead and take a break. Okay. When we get back from the break, we're going to talk about uh, what happens when our salvation is primarily grace-based or motivated, what happens to our perspective and our outlook on things then, and we'll hopefully take your comments. Questions at collegeu.com in the chat room or over the phone tonight. We'll look forward to hearing from you. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Proverbs chapter 26 verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be likened to him. But the very next verse, Proverbs 26 verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. At first glance, these two successive verses seem to be in direct contradiction with one another. But a closer examination yields important information on how we should properly deal with those who are foolishly opposing the truth. In both verses, the Hebrew verb anah, which is to answer, is used, but it's used in different forms. In the first verse, the verb is in an imperfect form, describing an unfinished or ongoing action. In essence, it's telling us that we should not continuously engage a person in foolish challenges to the truth. Typically, such a person will repeatedly bring up his flawed arguments. For instance, we've all suffered through Bible classes wherein an individual will bring up his pet theory on some weird topic every time he has a chance to do so. He's been answered in the past, but he ignores the truth and holds tightly to his erring view. We want to offer no support to his flawed arguments, no support for his erroneous conclusions. We are to cut off such discussion. In the second verse, the verb is in an imperative mode, mandating action. The gist of the command is that while not accepting his view or repeatedly discussing it with him, we powerfully answer his argument and show the absurdity of it. Having demonstrated this, it will not allow the foolish one to be wise in his own eyes. In other words, his arguments will be refuted and he will have no basis for pride or arrogance. He has been put in his place, so to speak. The overall meaning is this. Don't engage such a person in endless quarreling, but definitively refute the error. Approaching it this way will both answer the error and demonstrate that those who have been trying to teach it are not as wise as they thought they were. Taking a stand for God's truth and doing it in the best and most effective ways is always a difficult challenge. We should all pray, study, and apply ourselves to this vital work. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight, reminding you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out about us at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. One more night in our gospel meeting, if you're listening to this uh, before Friday evening, the 23rd of October 2015. Come and be a part of that uh, Friday evening at 7 p.m. Also find out where you can podcast recent sermons presented to the church here at College U at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're with Lee Wildman tonight talking about grace and how important it is for us to remind ourselves continuously about God's grace and have the right perspective on that grace in our lives and some of the dangers when we don't have that perspective. Yeah, uh, as we continue to discuss this, we want to talk about The third question we sent out to our update list earlier today was, what happens when our salvation is primarily grace-based and motivated? Now, 
I think, and I think you'd agree with me, Lee, I think there's a, a an upside and a downside to viewing grace as the key of our to our salvation. The, the upside is it's what the Bible teaches, and if we if we view it properly, then it is the right way to view it. Go, go ahead and expand upon that a little bit. Well, that was the, the first point that I made, and I try to make it very quickly. Romans 5, Paul has been talking about how marvelous this free gift, this grace is that God has extended to man. Um, you can almost anticipate when you get to chapter 6, and this question comes along, Paul's anticipating somebody thinking, you know, if grace is so marvelous and amazing, and it is, does that mean that I can just go on and do what I want? And he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not! Exclamation point. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And the person who appreciates the grace of God knows that he did that because of my sins, and I don't want to continue in sin once I realize how much he loved me. I want to change. I want to live by his will. Grace teaches us to live godly and righteously and soberly in this world, Titus 2 and verse 12. So it's more than just, well, God loves me and he's forgiven me. It also teaches me to live in a certain kind of way. And I believe as God's people, we take sin as seriously as anybody will take it. We're, we're not willing to t- play loose and fast with any of God's commands. We want to do just what he says and do it the very best we can. So sort of on the on the downside or the negative side of this would be to view grace as, it's all by grace. I don't have to do that. I don't have to worry about anything. It's all by grace. And, and, and therefore, I can go out here and live as I want, sin as I want. Because uh, grace is just going to cover that, and I'm good to go. That would be that would be the wrong way to view grace and my salvation through grace. But but the right way, as you're just suggesting, is when I realize what that grace entails, and the co- and the price that was paid to redeem me from my sinfulness, the very blood of Jesus Christ, then I should not want to do anything. I should want to do everything the way God wants me to do it out of love and devotion to him for what he's done for me. So it should motivate us. Salvation by grace should motivate us if we view it properly. Yeah, a lot of people say, it doesn't matter. Don't get too worried about living this way or that way. It doesn't matter because God's grace is going to save you, and clearly that's an erroneous view uh, that uh, is not supported by the Scriptures. That, That, As you said, we've got to be concerned about God's commands because of his grace. Well, the idea that once we're saved, we're always saved, is, is I don't believe is biblical. Galatians 5 and verse 4, there were Christians, I believe, they were saved. They loved the Lord. They obeyed the gospel. They had come into the Lord's kingdom, his church. They were in a right relationship with God. But they were in danger of being persuaded to keep the law of Moses. And Paul warned them, if you go back and start keeping the law of Moses, you will have fallen from grace. Galatians 5 and verse 4. So it does matter how you live, and even though we are saved by grace, it does matter how you live. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, go back to that illustration you had about the woman, uh, that the firefighter risked his life to save. Uh, What if a person like that would find out later, here's this firefighter, now he's got some desperate need that she could fulfill. Well, you'd think she'd want to do anything she could to help him or serve him out of gratitude for what had been done for her. And in a way, although all these analogies fall far short of what God did for us, right. in a way, that's the way we should be forgotten. When we, when we really fully comprehend 
the amazing things that God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, then we, want, we, ought, we ought to want to live our lives for him. Right. As simply stated in 1 John 4, uh, we love him because he first loved us. We, exactly. we want our obedience to get to the point where it's motivated by his love. Uh, James 2, verse 22 and verse 24, he says, See thou how faith wrought with works, and by works was faith made perfect. Verse 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And you look at faith and works there together. Really, what what value are they if it wasn't for the grace of God? Exactly right. Yeah, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we're going to talk about baptism in a minute, but if it wasn't for the grace of God, you could be baptized a thousand times and it wouldn't make any difference. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Randy in Swartz Creek, Michigan, says, Through the grace of God, uh, Jesus died for every man, Hebrews 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. It is through Jesus only that we have the grace of God to salvation. Peter tells us this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And so we're encouraged to grow in grace and in knowledge and certainly... Uh, as we uh, live our lives uh, for God, we do uh, grow in that grace and knowledge. Uh, Chris in England wrote in and said, what happens when our salvation is primarily grace-based or motivated? He answers, we are thankful and indebted to God who has given it to us, not smug in thinking that we have earned it ourselves." Right. And then uh, Jim in Kentucky wrote uh, uh, that... He asked about the question, what happens when our salvation is primarily grace-based or motivated? Does this mean, as the denominational world teaches, that by grace means we do nothing? That by grace, mean, by grace means God works in us and we simply accept that we are saved? He's saying these are false concepts. If we think that we can do nothing, if that's so, this is wrong. It makes salvation all on God's part and supposedly we are simple recipients of redemption. We thus neither recognize our need nor do we act to partake of God's blessings. This is Calvinism. This is fully rejected in scriptures. So he's saying that that's what we were saying. There's a downside to viewing it this way. He says, however, if grace based is referring to Ephesians 2 verse 8, a recognition that God is the giver of the plan and I am the receiver, and yet I must act as he commands in order to receive the fullness of his blessings, then yes, that type of motivation is correct to recognize the giver the gift and my part in receiving the gift as acting by faith, by his word, following his will at all times. So I do think that that's sort of the way we need to view that question. If you could you could view salvation by grace the wrong way and it would cause you to, to be wrong, to live a, a miserable, negligent life. So we don't want that. But we do want to view it, our salvation by grace in the proper way that motivates us out of deep gratitude to be the kind of try, to strive to be the kind of people God wants us to be. All right. Uh, uh, David in the chat room has quoted James chapter two verses fourteen through seventeen as you just did, Arthur, uh, and uh, in, which includes uh, faith by itself. If it does not have works, is dead. Arthur. You know, one time I was talking to an individual a number of years ago in the workplace, and that was his belief. Oh, we don't have to do nothing. It's all been done. Christ has done it all for us. We don't have to do nothing. Right. Well, the, the person who would take that view would have to really be a universalist then and say everybody will be saved because 
Christ did this for all people. In fact, I had a verse here. Let me see if I can find it real quickly in my notes. Uh, it says... Uh, while you're finding it, it, that, I'll just say yeah. this real quickly about the faith and works of James chapter 2. If I believe in his grace... If my faith is in what he did for me at the cross and I understand it, grow in my understanding, again, I'm going to want to do whatever he asks. You can call that works, obedience, whatever you want. One fellow was quoting some wonderful passages in Hebrews. And Hebrews 5 verse 9 says what it says. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So we cannot, we're not coming to force the two kinds. You can't separate these things. They're, 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 They're intertwined. We need to obey the Lord, but if we do it by... Grace, being motivated by grace, it'll keep us humble. Uh, one of the passages I had, I'm sorry, Greg. No, I no, go jumped ahead. in front of you there, but one of the passages I had was a passage in Luke when Jesus said, we are unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty exactly. to do. Exactly. You know, even when I've done what he expects, I still need to realize, hey, I, I've been saved because he loved me. Uh, to Arthur, to your point, the guy who said, grace, God did it all. There's nothing for you to do because God did it all. If you really, if you if you take that view, ultimately, then you would have to say that all will be saved because Christ died for all. Uh, That's true. That's Hebrews true. two verse nine. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So Jesus died for every man. Uh, that's grace. He says it was by the grace of God he tasted death for every man. Well, then is everybody saved? Right. No, I don't think that guy that you were talking to, Arthur, probably thought everybody was saved. Titus 2, 11 and 12, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So again, uh, yes, grace is there, and we couldn't be saved without it, but it's not that the Lord did it all, therefore you don't have to do anything either. Right, right. All right, Arthur, did you have a comment before we take our break? We'll take one more break, and then we'll go to the top of the hour. When we get back, so we're saved by grace, and uh, we have to remember that, but we've been instructed to do certain things, one of those being baptism, and so how does that fit in? Lots of folks will say, well, listen, if you're baptized, then you're not saved by grace. Is that true? Uh, it Does grace negate the requirement to be obedient? We want to talk about that as we go to the top of the hour. We'll hope you stay with us. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find that it's easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College of Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Research shows nearly half of Americans, 44%, say that they are tempted to spend too much time with media, including the Internet, television, and video games. Viewing pornography online continues to escalate and take on new forms as the Internet and social media evolve. Nearly one in five Americans, 18%, say they are tempted to view pornography or sexually inappropriate content online. Men more commonly admit to being tempted to view porn than women. 
28% versus 8%. That information is via Barna.org. The Word of God says in Matthew 15, beginning verse 18, Those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. And, you know, we've got a special another guest with us in the room over the phone. He's been listening. Uh, Rick in, in Athens, Alabama, had trouble with his computer tonight getting it to work. So he just called in, and he's listening on the phone. On the phone. Okay, good to have good him deal. with us uh, tonight. Thanks, Rick. Um, all right. So we, we, I think this is such a vitally important subject. You know, I just don't think it can be emphasized enough. Uh, about God's grace. So I'm so glad, Lee, that you brought us this lesson tonight. Last question we want to discuss uh, as, we're, as we wrap up the program is, uh, now, uh, Leon, tell you, you're contradicting yourself now, man. You said we're saved by God's grace. Now you want to turn around and tell me i got to be baptized. Right. How, how are you, you going to figure that out? Well, I don't know that's all that challenging. I guess, <laughs> Greg, um, I like to take people when they bring them to the cross. We preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now the person that I'm talking to understands that Jesus died for me. He died because of my sins. It's interesting that many of the people in the book of Acts responded with, what should I do? When they heard that, when they began to realize the significance of the death of Jesus, it was just, I'm not going to say natural, but... It seemed to them that, well, I ought to respond somehow. I ought to do something. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, the very first gospel sermon, those folks were convinced that Jesus had been crucified, that they had had a part in his death. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter, an inspired apostle, said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And I know the arguments that can come about what... That may mean, but it just simply says to me that here's what you need to do uh, in order to receive that forgiveness. Now, Peter preached grace. Peter understood that we're saved by grace. but And so he didn't say, well, there's nothing you have to do. You're saved by grace. Don't you understand that, man? No, he said there's something you need to do in order to be obedient. I think it's exactly right. And the other passage is talking about Paul. Who understood grace better than Paul? Romans, the whole book of Romans. Right. But who also said, uh, taught that churches that he wrote to, that they were baptized. I'm thinking about Colossians in chapter 2 and verse 11, when he said, In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I do believe when a person is baptized, it is God's work. It's his working. He is doing the saving. He is taking away our sins. I mentioned tonight that nobody comes up out of the water boasting, look what I did. I've never had anybody say, boy, I'm so good, and I've done what God said, and I deserve to be saved from my sins because, look, I obeyed him. Maybe there's been a few who had that attitude, but uh, I don't think that's the case in most cases. In the chat room tonight, guess 50. Uh, is, I think, misunderstood our position on this. I guess 50 says the assumption that if one is saved by grace, it has to imply that you can do whatever you want. That is flooring. We're not saying that. We're saying that some people have that view. Yes. But we're saying that oh, yeah. we, we're, we're saved by grace, absolutely. 
It does yeah. not mean you can do whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, you've misunderstood us. It, it, it doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. It doesn't mean that you don't have to be obedient. Uh, it means that you have to be obedient. You're saved by grace. You're not going to earn your salvation, but you have to be obedient. Numerous passages tell us that we are obedient or that we have to be obedient. It gives us instructions on what we, mu- we must do. Those two concepts aren't contradictory, but lots of folks want to Make them force them of. against themselves, and they're not. Yeah. Uh, Guest 50 also said, The Church of Christ has such a nihilistic view of grace, it never ceases to amaze me. Well, nihilism, I don't know if I'm even saying that right, is the idea of uh, a definition of that is rejecting all religious and moral principles in the belief that life is meaningless. Well, we don't believe that. I don't know why I don't know I guess fifty why you've taken the impression from what we've said that we have that view. Uh, we we think it all matters. You know, it's, it's it's not that we don't think anything matters. We think it all matters. Uh, so I I think maybe list, uh, just keep working with us on this guest fifty and maybe you can uh, understand us a little more clearly. Yeah. God was trying to get our attention and He chose to do that by allowing His Son to be crucified on the cross and. To get us to think, to to realize, here's how far I'll go, and to move us, to draw us back to Him. Jesus said, "I will." He would draw all men to Himself. How would He do that? By lift, being lifted up, and He was lifted up on the cross. And when we when we come to study that and realize how important that event was, what it means, my sinfulness. And we'll appreciate the good news, and we'll want to respond in whatever he asks. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 is a passage that has to work into this equation somewhere. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness, lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So there it is. There's God's grace that has appeared to us. And there's a, there's a reaction on our part that is required, and that is that we respond by submitting our lives in obedience. Yes. Yeah. You know, some people just can't quite comprehend the idea that grace, the idea of a gift by God's grace, could require conditions. I've tried to illustrate this way, and I don't know that it's a perfect illustration at all, but, Lee, if I told you, if you will come to my house tomorrow at 10 minutes after 10, wearing a green shirt... I will give you a thousand dollars. Would you do that? Well, yeah, uh, people would, right? Uh, but by virtue of you coming to my house at a specific time and wearing a specific shirt, would you have earned the thousand dollars? Nothing in that 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 would merit a thousand. It would still be a gift. Right. And so the idea that God's grace bears certain conditions is is not contradictory with the idea that it's free and a gift and it's given freely by God. Nor does it in any way negate or minimize God's grace as you spent so much time in your lesson tonight uh, telling us, uh, reminding us of how that without God's grace we can't be saved. Without God's grace we have no hope of heaven. Uh, saying that we have to be obedient does in, in no way impacts uh, the reality of the fact that we're saved by grace. And I think most of these folks are questioning about works, and you've talked about this, I'm sure, in previous studies. Uh, faith is a response that I that I decide that that story is true. I've studied it, thought about it. The evidence is uh, convincing to me that the story of Jesus is true, and so I respond in faith. Uh, those who would say there's no works, are they going to say, well, I don't have to believe? Believe is a response. It's an acceptance of what he did. 
In fact, Jesus described faith as a work, did he not? In one of the stories, in, the, in I believe, in the, in the book of John. So uh, it seems to me that it shouldn't be that big of a leap to understand that we ought to obey and submit to the Lord on account of his grace. It Including something like baptism. Right. You know, uh, in the idea of grace and obedience, grace and doing something, we talked earlier about Noah, Genesis 6, 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But later in that same chapter, he had to build that ark, and it was an enormous task. And it says in verse 22, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. He was a recipient of God's grace, but he still did everything God commanded him to do. Uh, Then I was thinking also in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, it says they persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Hmm. If there's something I have to do, I mean, why would they need to be persuaded? If there's nothing to do, why would they be need to be persuaded to continue in the grace of God? That obviously implies there's something they had to do. Amen. Arthur? You know, talking about Acts 2.38 a little bit earlier, we can go back and look to Luke 23 and and when Christ was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then some 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, he says in verse uh, 23, he says, Him, this is Peter now, Him being delivered by the determined counsel for knowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And they were pricked in their hearts about it. Now, look what he says at, at 2.38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. How many? Every one of you. He didn't forgive them back there 50 days earlier when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. It was here. He said, Every one of you, repent and confess and be baptized. And what it amounts to, all of that just gets down to grace. Grace. All right. Guest 50 may continue to misunderstand our position. Uh, Guest 50 says... uh, that our position is it's this or nothing else. When we've said that some, that some people say if you're saved by grace, then it means you can live however you want. That's what some people believe. We're not saying that that's what it means. We're saying that's what some people believe. Guess 50 goes on and says it's such a position of arrogance. Uh, no, we're, we're trying to explain the view of some. It's not the view of all who say, believe you're saved by grace and nothing else. But it, that's the view of some. But we've shown from the scriptures that that God says we're saved by grace. Without God's grace, we can't be saved. But yet he tells us over and over again things we must do in response to his grace. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, other passages we've referenced tonight. This obedience, again, doesn't negate God's grace or minimize it, but it is required in order to be pleasing to God. Passages in Second Thessalonians, again, maybe doesn't seem like it fits with the study of grace, but this is the same God, a God of love and grace, who says that there will be vengeance taken on those who do not do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. Uh, again, obedience is, is the to me, the only acceptable response to grace. When I understand what grace means, how much God loved me, the response is, Lord, I'm bowing at your feet. Whatever you ask for the rest of my life, I am going to show you that I appreciate and grateful for what you did. I'll never earn it. I'll never deserve it. But I am going to do everything I can to live in a way that pleases you, my Father. I think that's right. Uh, Real quickly, Jim in Kentucky says, Baptism fits into the picture of being saved by grace as that part which is by faith. 
God commands that baptism be obeyed, therefore I obey. God commands that those who believe and are baptized are saved, therefore I accept his will and obey. God commands that belief, confession, repentance precede baptism. Therefore, in order to receive his grace, I obey his plan in his order, recognizing that my obedience is not works, but acting by faith. And then Chris in England had written, uh, the saving work done by baptism is in spite of you, if I have the view of correctly. First Peter 3 says baptism saves you, by the, but by the resurrection of Christ, that's not of you. In Romans 6, where you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death. Again, that's not you. As if you're reading or hearing this, chances are you're still alive. Baptism is a passive act done to you, and all benefits are given to you, not because of the rite itself, but because God wanted to bestow them on you as a result of Christ's work and your sign of love of him. And whoever loves the Lord does his commands, one of which is to be baptized. Okay. All right, so I hope that we've made that clear. I, I'm, I'm a little concerned that w- one of our listeners in the chat room is not tracking with us, I think, Jacob. Uh, uh, I, I hope we've, we've made it as clear as we possibly can. That's right, and we'd like to discuss it further with any of our listeners. If you have a question or comment about something that we've said, questions at collegeview.com is the way you can contact us at any time. Well, we've made Lee work overtime tonight. Yeah, he had to, he had to do double duty tonight. Yeah. Yeah. This has not been work. Your preachers only work one hour a week, and uh, we've made him work two, so yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 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 No, I've been very glad to do this uh, and yeah. uh, very grateful. To I really do think it's a really important subject, and I appreciate you bringing it to us in our yeah. gospel meeting tonight and then also talking with us some more about it on the virtual Bible study. Jacob, tomorrow night's the last night of our gospel meeting, Friday night, October 23rd. Gary Smalley, who preaches for the Old Hickory Church in Jackson, Tennessee, will be here uh, to bring us a final lesson in our gospel meeting, 7 o'clock tomorrow night. If you're anywhere close in Middle Tennessee, please join us for uh, for our uh, final night of our gospel meeting. Thank you, Lee, again for your sermon tonight. Thank, Thank you for joining us on the program. Appreciate your thoughts and your comments tonight. And Monty's been behind the controls helping us tonight, and we took his... We took his microphone away from him, but uh, Monty, thank you for being here tonight, and we appreciate your help as usual. And Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for joining us. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life. Study his inspired word of the Bible and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.